Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. When was the last time that you guys uh, sort of set like a, a health goal, right? When was the last time you set a goal for your health? Maybe, maybe like a New Year's resolution or, or a, I know a few of you are doing like the whole keto thing right now. Um, or what about like a, a financial goal, that kind of goal? You create a budget, you change your spending to, to maybe save more money to go on that vacation you've always wanted to, to go on. Or, or maybe earlier this summer, you set a goal to get through like a certain number of books, an intellectual goal. So you kind of downloaded that reading list online, you joined a reading club, I know there's, there's some people here who decided to go through like a Bible study or book study together this summer to invest in their learning and growing. I love that. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we set goals like this at all for ourselves? It's because we want, we want to grow, right? We want to grow. We want to improve. We want to get better. And we get to this point. Where, where we sort of like re refuse to coast through life. We refuse to settle for the status quo. And so we want to push forward and we set goals to, to get healthy, to contribute to the, so we contribute more to, to just uh, the people that we love uh, around us and, and to the world. And if you've ever set a goal, a goal like one of these, you know that eventually you get to this point where you're like, man, this is kind of hard, right? This is hard. Maybe you're on a diet and you're driving by handles and you're like, man, this is hard. <laughs> Love that ice cream. You're saving money, but then you're looking at your Amazon wish list and you're like, ah, this is hard. Requires sacrifice and cost. It doesn't always come easy to us. For most of us, that's kind of the, our experience with our Christian lives. You've met Jesus, you have this new relationship with God through him, you're excited, you're growing in the gospel, but then you get to this point to where you're like, man, living for him, living for Jesus can be hard sometimes. I want to grow, I want to get better in my walk, my spiritual walk, but then you get distracted or you get discouraged by sin and you feel like you're gotten off course and you, you realize that following Jesus calls for sacrifice for cost, for holy effort that does not always come easy. I think that's why uh, many of us in Western Christianity are tempted to only focus on the bookends of the Christian life, where we sum up Christianity as receive Jesus at the beginning and we get to go to heaven at the end. And we sort of play down all the stuff in the middle, which is really where the meat is at. That's where life is lived, in the middle. It's this sometimes hard rhythm in the Christian life of repenting and learning and growing and changing that, that requires and takes effort. And in our text this morning, in, in, in Philippians 3, Paul 
the apostle, he wants to sort of speak into that space. He wants to give us this church he's writing to and, and us through the scriptures. He wants to give us some guidelines on what it means to, to sort of grow in maturity. To encourage us that, that the road to spiritual maturity should not be a heavy burden, but it should be a liberating joy. And so we're going to look at that walk towards spiritual maturity and see that first Jesus gives us a holy dissatisfaction. That's the first thing, a holy dissatisfaction to say, man, I, I, just, I feel like I need to be growing. And then we recognize that he takes care of our past and, and the good news that he empowers us to press forward. Let's look at that first point. Jesus gives us a holy dissatisfaction. Where do we see that? Look at verse 12 of Philippians 3. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And what is he talking about? If you remember from last week, Paul, in just the verses right before this, he was gushing about how one day Jesus is going to finish the work that he started in us. He's, Jesus has saved us. He's making us new. But one day, at the end of all time, heaven will come down to earth when Jesus returns, and we'll all have these perfected lives and bodies free of sin, free of evil. And Paul looks forward to that day, the day where the world will be full of darkness and evil, where our souls and our hearts, for those of us who are in Christ, will be free of darkness and evil and sin. But here in verse 12 now, he continues that thought, and he goes... But just so we're all on the same page, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet, he says. What I want you to see in this verse is that the Spirit of God has given Paul a holy dissatisfaction that he hasn't quite arrived yet. He's not perfect yet. He's got room to grow. And truthfully, we'll never be perfect on this side of eternity, on this side of death. But Paul says, I long for that, and so I want to I grow. I, I want to move towards that in the life that is God has given me now. <laughs> you and I should find some level of relief when Paul, the apostle, says that he's not perfect, right? Like at this point in his life, he's a pastor, he's a church planner, he's been a Christian for over three decades, He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote huge chunks of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here he says, look, I know I'm, I got room to grow. I know I'm not perfect. You and I can either be discouraged by that statement, or we can be encouraged, which I think is Paul's intention. Encouraged to think that no matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, there's always something to learn. Always some area you need to grow in, some lesson you need to apply. That's why he says, I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own. That future glorious reality that Jesus has for me, I press on to make that my own today, the best that I can. He, he, he's saying, I'm a work in progress. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. I'm a work in progress. I love the way Charles Spurgeon puts this. He says, when the Father reveals Christ to a man, he at the same time reveals the man to himself. 
It's this idea that once you meet Christ, he changes your heart. He opens your eyes to see anew who he is. You also get this greater awareness of who you are. As someone who's broken and in need of grace. That's why we do that prayer of confession at the beginning of our service. It's a public rhythm that we do as a church family that we hope translates into private practice for you throughout the week. It's this idea that the more you get to know Jesus, the more you get acquainted with him, when you hold up the word of God like a mirror and you, and you, and you look at yourself in light of God's nature and character that you're learning from the word, you see more and more that you still have room to grow. It's a holy dissatisfaction that says, look, I'm not going to settle for the status quo. I'm going to press on to see more of Christ in my life. Lord, let me see all of Christ in all my life. That's one of my personal prayers. All of Christ in all my life. So I want you to prayerfully consider this morning, what are the areas of your life that you need to grow in? When you hold up God's word as a mirror, what are those areas in, in, in your life that the Spirit of God starts to reveal to you that you, you need to grow in? What are your spiritual imperfections that the Spirit of God has been kind enough, gracious enough to lay on your heart as an area that you need to grow in? Not in a vindictive way, but in a loving way. Because he wants He's out for your good. He's out for your joy. Now, when we, when we kind of think about that question, where, where, where I need to grow in, and sort of feel that conviction, we can respond to that, that conviction in our hearts one of three ways. One, we can cower over in shame, which is not pleasing to God. That's not a holy dissatisfaction. Well, I call that a harmful dissatisfaction. Or maybe we can try and pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, right, which is also not pleasing to God. Paul, Paul talked about that in our text last week. I consider that also a harmful dissatisfaction. Or we can take that conviction from the kindness of God and we can push headlong into the grace of Jesus. That's a holy dissatisfaction. That's a holy dissatisfaction. Paul models that for us. Look, look what he says in the end of verse 12. He, he says, not, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Again, last week we talked about how the effort in the Christian life it's not, it's not to wear us down, but to build us up. The effort in the Christian life is fueled by grace. It's a grace-fueled effort. It's not to earn God's grace. It actually flows from grace. The grace of God is a lot like, I was thinking about this yesterday, it's a lot like a coffee cake that our, our, our neighbor made for us yesterday. Brought it over. Once you had a little, you just got to have more. <laughs> It was so good. <laughs> Once you've tasted the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, then you should begin to want to see more of it in all of your life. In every compartment, in every area of your life, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
you feel the love of God and you want to love him more because of it. I love the way that Matthew Henry puts this when he said, wherever there is true grace, there is a desire for more grace. Wherever there is true grace from God in the life of a person, the natural flow from that is you'll desire more grace. If Christ, by His amazing grace, has made you His own, that grace will fuel your effort, your desire to grow in more grace, to know the riches of Christ more, to never be okay with having any area of your life untouched by His grace. Ask this morning, do I have a holy desire for more grace? Do you have a holy desire for more grace? If true grace has transformed you, you'll desire that more in more areas of your life, in every area. Paul says, I want you to recognize that God has chased after you. God has chased after you. He came down. He went to the cross to chase after you, to, to woo your heart, to draw you back in, and to invite you back to a reconciled relationship with the Lord God, your creator. Now, because of that, all of your life is a response to that grace. All of your life responds to that gospel. That's what a holy dissatisfaction does. It doesn't cause you to cower. It doesn't cause you to try harder. It causes you out of joy. It spurs you on to, to go hard after your Lord Jesus. So that's the first thing we see in the step towards spiritual maturity is that we, we need to feel that holy dissatisfaction that Paul models for us in verse 12. Then we need to recognize that Jesus takes care of our past. Jesus takes care of our past. Read verse 13 and 14 with me. Paul, Paul he, he, he says brothers, which is collective. It's like brothers and sisters, which, by the way, every, every time Paul uses this word brothers, he's usually either starting a letter or when we see it in the middle like this, it means he's really trying to grab your attention, all right? Like I had this old mentor when I'd sit down with him uh, over lunch. Uh, he, 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 there were times where he was trying to lean over to me mid-conversation and go, Chris. And when he said that, I knew he was about to drop some like wisdom bombshell in front of me. When he goes, Chris. And that's the sense that we get from when Paul here in the middle of his letter says, brothers, brothers and sisters, let me get your attention. Don't miss this point. What does he say? He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, look, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, then you need to, one, forget what lies behind, and two, press forward to the prize. He's talking about running a race. That's the metaphor he's running with here. No pun intended. 
Just kidding. Totally pun intended. Like every runner knows, though, every runner knows that if, that, that if you want to run a race well, you can't be looking over your shoulder. Or you'll run the risk of tripping or stumbling or just you start losing momentum because you're distracted. You need, you need to forget what's behind you. It's this image of not just during the race, but when you start a race, like before you load onto that starting block. I don't know if that's how you describe that, loading onto the starting block. Clearly not a runner. <laughs> but picture it, right? Like this track star guy loading onto the starting block. You shed your track jacket, take off those exercise pants, all that extra clothing. You don't want any baggage, nothing to drag you down. And when you're running the race, you don't look over your shoulder. That's the image Paul wants us to have in our minds. So what are some of the things that can drag us down? What are some of the things that can drag us down that we need to leave behind? First, consider the sins that you've committed. The sins that you've committed, maybe the sins that you're committing now. Some of us, some of us are carrying around shame from our sin, shame from our past. And if you don't let the gospel penetrate that area of your heart and your mind where the shame is, it will absolutely consume you, paralyze you. Paul wants us to say, you know, forget what lies behind. Remember, Jesus took care of your past. Paul, the apostle writing this letter, he knew this well. He did some dark things, if you're familiar with his story. Paul did some dark things before he became a Christian. We read in the book of Acts that he got one of the first deacons ever, this guy named Stephen, killed, held everyone's jackets while they all pummeled him with rocks. Paul approved of the whole thing as a religious leader at the time. Then he goes on from, from, from that point to on this murderous rampage, breaking into homes, kidnapping men, women, children, throwing them all, all, all the Christians in prison. Man, look at him now. Look at him now. Following Jesus for over three decades planting this church in Philippi that he's writing a letter to that we're reading this morning, 10 years, 10, 11 years after he planted that church. He's in prison for the gospel. I mean, look at him. He's no longer defined by what happened in, in Acts 7 and 8. He's no longer defined by that moment where Stephen got pummeled with rocks He's no longer defined by the, all those people that he kidnapped and murdered and tortured. What I want you to see is that the grace of God is ferocious. Ferociously invades the heart of broken sinners to free us from the shame of our past. Now, if you belong to Jesus, Christ has made you his own. He makes you new. Gives you a new hope and a future. And so Paul says, don't, don't get dragged down by that. By, by forget those things of your past, the sins of you, that you've committed. But he also says, it means you don't get dragged down by the sins that have been committed against you. The sins that have been getting com committed against you. Look, for, for, for some of us, for some of you, you've been hurt, abandoned, betrayed, abused, slandered. And the list goes on. 
Paul wants you to know Christ takes care of you. He heals your hurt too. He takes care of your hurt. He heals you not just from the harm that you've done, but the harm that's been done against you. And to be clear, that doesn't mean that you should pretend the hurt didn't happen. That it's not a part of like your redemption story, your gospel story. But it does mean that now, because of Christ, you're free from that. You're free from that to deal with it biblically. To come to Jesus with it. To get counseling in the community. To talk to a pastor or leader about it. To pursue relationships and recovery. And then, and then move on. You don't let that define you. You don't let what has happened to you define you. You're in Christ now. You're not damaged goods. You're in Christ now, so you can press forward. He also says, don't get dragged down by your self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. That's like where you're boasting about the past, like, 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 like Paul says he no longer does uh, from, from last week. You see, from some of, for some of us, what drags us down is when really the past how faithful we were before when that becomes our boast, right? Like we remember like, ah, oh, 2010, those were good days. <laughs> I went on two mission trips that year. It's like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. You guys remember that movie? <laughs> Uncle Rico, middle-aged bachelor living in an old Dodge camper, stuck in the glory days, recording videos of himself, throwing a football, boasting about how back in 82, he used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile as if that still counts for something for him today. Some of us, we live like that. Some of us live in the past, in the glory days. We rest in just the fact that like we, you know, we filled out some card and like we've, we got baptized however many years ago. We're like, you know, I belong to Jesus now. But you're not growing. Reflects those memories of when, like, every worship song made us cry. We served in three ministries back then. If you remember Paul's story from last week, Paul had a righteous resume of all the good religious things that he did before. And he said, Look, in light of Christ, I consider all those things rubbish. Those things are no longer my boast. Christ is my boast. I boast in him. I brag on him. I want to know him more. I want to love him better. I want to worship him as the God and Lord over my life that he is. What I'm saying is, don't be like Uncle Rico. Don't get so stuck in your past reputation that you don't strive today to press forward and grow to step into the mission and service that God has for you today in the church that he has you in today with the people around you that he's placed today. Now, we have to be, we have to be careful with this forgetting what lies behind. Because when he says, well, forget what lies behind, he does, he's not saying that, that everything from the past doesn't matter. He doesn't say pretend you have amnesia, like none of that happened, Right? Like in some sense, we have a whole host of scriptures where God's people are actually encouraged to remember what's back there. Like in the Old Testament, when God tells them to tells his people to, to set up altars of remembrance to, to remind them of how he's he's faithfully rescued and delivered them. Or how Jesus in the New Testament institutes this communion meal as the new altar of remembrance. 
means of grace to strengthen us. There's still a place for looking back to remember where we came from, to see the progress that we've made. What he has in mind for us to leave behind are those things that hinder our forward progress. That's what he has in mind. He says, look, it's it's the sins you've committed, the harm that's been done against you, your proudful boasting on on what you've done or what you're doing. Paul says, Leave, leave that, those things, if they're hindering your forward progress, leave those behind. He's not saying don't let them be part of your story. He's just saying leave the things behind that are hindering your progress. What is it that you need to leave behind this morning? What shame that you are carrying? What hurt or bitterness or cynicism that you're carrying? What what, what, what pride, self-righteousness that you're carrying that you, you, you need to leave behind? He's saying, look, remember, Jesus has taken care of your past. Don't let it drag you down. Jesus has taken care of your past. And to run the race of spiritual maturity, leave behind what's hindering you. Whatever skeletons you have in your closet, whatever hurt that's been done to you, let it go and move on. Repent, come clean, get healed, do business with God, then, but then let go and press forward. Who you were no longer matters. However awful or however great you think you were, who you were no longer matters. It's who you're becoming that matters. Being made new by the gospel of Jesus Christ, bearing his image more and more, loving him, getting to know him, growing in him, learning more about him, pressing forward. And the good news for us who want to press forward, we see, is that Jesus empowers us to press forward. Number three, Jesus empowers us to press forward. Read verse 13 with me. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, that word straining is this Greek word, epiktinomenos. Epictai nominos, which means like to stretch out in every possible way, to be fully exerted, stretched out. And so it's this visual of not just stretching your body forward in a race, but also stretching your energy thin, exerting all of who you are. Why? To reach the prize, to get more Jesus. You see, when you strain yourself out in this way with, with Paul's race metaphor, when you, when you strain yourself out in this way, every muscle is activated. Your focus is strained too. You don't look behind you. You don't look to the side. You don't glance at the competition. I remember in, 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 in eighth grade uh, PE, which incidentally was actually right outside here. I, w- I went to this junior high. Uh, back in the day, um, and right out on on those tracks, back when there was only like two buildings on this whole campus, 
right out there on those tracks, there's there this, this one day that a friend of mine, we kind of made this bet with each other, right? Because like, we, we, we used to, every time they, they, they timed us on, on the mile, we used to always like get, uh, uh, get around the same, the same time, like six minutes, something. And so uh, we made this bet this one day that whoever gets the best time on this particular day between the two of us had to spend uh, 50 cents to get the other guy an otter pop. Right? That was the bet. Right? I mean, when you're, in, when you're in like eighth grade, those are the kind of bets that you make. Give me that otter pop. <laughs> so we start running. We start running. The teacher starts to stopwatch. We start running. And I'm like laser focused the whole time. I'm pacing myself during the first lap. Right, so I don't overexert myself. I pick up my pace during the second lap and then the third lap. And on our last lap, our last lap, like he was still just a little bit ahead of me, like about 20 yards. And it seemed like the faster that I ran, like, dude, the faster he ran. So frustrating, right? And so in that last stretch, I'm just pushing and I'm straining. I'm giving it my all. My adrenaline kicks in. I'm straining, using every muscle in my body. My legs are burning. My lungs are burning. I hear the footsteps of this other person coming up behind me, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to press on. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to strain forward, give it my all. I started to slowly creep up behind, started to kind of gain on my friend. And with ferocious tenacity, I gave it my all. And at the very last split second, I reached out. And he still beat me. <laughs> he still beat me, and I lost the bet. But I got my first five-minute mile. You know what that is? Thank you. <laughs> you know what that is? That's progress. That's growth. That's progress. Still totally worth it to get that special five-minute mile like black shirt instead of the usual gray that they gave us. It wasn't the perfect outcome that I'd hoped for, but it was progress. Paul says, run the race of life with that kind of focus, that level of tenacity, that, that sort of grit, purpose, drive, Look at verse 13. He says, this is the one thing that I do. The one thing that I do. Superlatively, he says, forget the past and push forward. The one thing I do. You, you know what that phrase is? It's a focused orientation of life. So many of us wander through life with no purpose or direction, constantly reacting to the people around us, to the events going on around us, constantly reacting to what's going on around you rather than pushing forward with purpose. Man, that's convicting for me this week. Is that convicting for you? Is that you? This morning, maybe ask yourself, what is distracting me? What is it that's distracting you? What are the things that when they're put right in front of you, your pursuit of growing in Christ gets sort of pushed to the side? What person, what thing, what dream, what situation, when, when they're put right in front of you, your pursuit of growing in Christ gets pushed to the side? And here's what we're pressing towards. He tells us in verse 14. 
You know what you're straining forward to? You know what you're pressing toward? He says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? Ultimately, it's knowing Christ and being known by him. Read about that in verse 10 and 11. That's the prize. Ultimately, it's knowing Christ more, being truly knowing him, being truly known by him. The upward call of God in Christ, that, that phrase, that's, that's like how in the old Greek races, the winner of the race will get this upward call to stand before the emperor or the judge who presided over the races, and, and the emperor will get the champion's wreath put around his neck. Paul's saying, look, I look forward to that upward call. The Bible tells us that there's coming a day of judgment for all of us where we'll stand before Jesus and he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the, the resources I gave you, the relationships I put in front of you, the opportunities that I gifted you? If you truly know Christ, then every area of your life will be marked by a holy effort to go hard after him in every area. Every area will reflect that you know Christ and that he knows you. So I learned something else fascinating about coffee cake yesterday. <laughs> I was enjoying the coffee cake. You know, these baked goods, so rich. And I turned to Alyssa, my wife, and, and I tell her, I was like, I feel like this coffee cake has way more butter and sugar than coffee in it. Right? I was like, it's good. I feel like it's got way more butter and sugar than coffee in it. And she just laughs in my face, as she tends to do. <laughs> and she goes, you know there's no coffee in coffee cake, right? No, I did not know that. I did not know that. She's the smart one, so she takes me to school. She educates me and explains that they call it coffee cake because you eat it with coffee. I mean, that still doesn't make sense to me, right? I mean, hear me out. It doesn't make sense to me because, like, we call it chocolate cake because it has what? Chocolate in it. We call it carrot cake because it has what? Carrots in it, right? And so I'm thinking, like, if there's no coffee in it, don't call it coffee cake. In the same way, in the same way, if we're going to call Jesus our Lord and Savior, and then the substance of our lives don't reflect that, you got to ask yourself, what's going on? What's going on? If we call Jesus our Lord and Savior, then the substance of our lives should display that he really is Lord and Savior in the true sense of those words. Where we're living and pressing forward as though Christ has made us his own. He's taken care of our past and he's promised a glorious future that we're pressing on towards. And there's a growth trajectory in our life of sanctification from the moment that we're saved to uh, the moment we meet Jesus. To know Christ, to really know Christ, to love Christ, is to have a life that is marked by his love. A life that is marked by his transforming love to where we get to hear on the last day, well done, 
good and faithful servant. That's the prize. That's what we look forward to. Look at these last two verses. These last two verses give us an opportunity to respond. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way, which really quick is kind of hilarious because in the beginning he talks about how imperfect he is, and here he talks about how mature he is. But the point for us to get from that is that maturity is not showing how put together you are, but it's about admitting how jacked up you are and then striving to grow in grace. He continues in verse 15. He says, if anything in you, if, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I love the humble posture that Paul has here. He doesn't say, look, if you don't get this, if you don't think this way, then I don't know what to do with you. No, look how we trust in the sovereign work of God's grace. He says, look, if you don't think this way, God will reveal it to you. I'll pray for you. I'll encourage you. I'll, 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 because I don't fear man, I'm going to call you out in love. But I'm going to trust that God's going to open your eyes. God will reveal that also to you, he says. And then he closes this text in the same way he started it, by pointing us to the gospel. He says in verse 16, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true to what we have already attained. What have we attained? For those of us who are followers of Christ, what have we attained? Him. Him. Christ. A reconciled relationship with our Maker. See, too often, we're holding true and prizing the things of this world. We might turn to food or drink or sex or popularity or comfort. Not all those things are bad. To be clear, like, don't, don't, don't misread me. Not all those things are bad. But they're also not our prize. They're not our ultimate prize. What would it look like if you started chasing after Christ as your greatest treasure? What would it look like if you started chasing, striving after your Lord Jesus Christ as your greatest treasure, your greatest pleasure? What would it look like if he became your greatest joy, your greatest prize, the thing that is most important to you? If you're striving, Paul encourages you, keep going. If you're struggling, don't trust in your ability, but place all your trust and hope in his ability. He, Jesus, he pressed on to the cross to give you the power and hope of his resurrection. What would it look like if our lives were marked by the transforming grace of Jesus Christ? So now let's join in with Paul and the Philippian church and the men and women throughout history who passionately pressed into this good news of this Christ. And let's never stop. Let's never stop. Let's lay hold of him by his grace as he has laid hold of you. He's laid hold of you to take care of your past, to give you power in the present. 
and to give you a hope and a future and a seat at his table. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.